Welcome to the JLA Cast, a podcast in which we revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, one issue at a time. My name's John, and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ, and I am the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. And a proud homeowner. Uh, Yes, yes. Since we recorded our last episode, I moved into a house... That I well no the bank owns and I give them money but you know <laughs> you have to share your house with a very nice bank teller who uh, yeah counts out yeah. his money every day his his name is Lewis and uh, <laughs> we put him in the spare room and he's a lovely cook I thought I thought he put you in the spare room to be honest no this is the bank's house PJ <laughs> get back in your box I do like a box it does feel a bit I was thinking about this when we were getting ready to record this morning it's like. It's a it's a blink of an eye for the listener, but it does feel like eons since you and I last spoke. It's really been like three or four weeks or so, but it feels like a long time. Yeah, yeah. We we had a moment where our last episode came out just this week on on Monday, and there was a panicked <laughs> message to me from John going, "We don't have any more episodes. We've got to record." Like, oh shit! <laughs> yeah, we've got this kind of like um, I was going to say talent pool, but like a kind of resource. Well, and I was just—I went to get a bucket this morning. I was like, "Oh God, it's dry." PJ, PJ, we need to fill it up again. Um, so we both pisk some entertainment into the well. <laughs> that it is does, our podcast. Yes, it does. This does feel a bit. Um, is it? Is it Macbeth when the 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 witches three meet on the hill at the start, and it's very much like, uh, you know, what has happened since last we met, or something like? I can't remember Shakespeare. Uh, you're, like, you're thinking of uh, Terry Pratchett's Weird Sisters. That would probably do it. Yes, no, I know. I know Shakespeare was a big fan. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, but ripped you've, him off. You've basically been like full on house move renovation mode, haven't you? Yes, and I am exhausted. It's been an interesting couple of weeks. People don't tell you that home ownership is just spending lots of money to get people to come and fix things you didn't know were wrong with your house. Oh yeah, I mean a hundred percent. I think uh, since we last spoke, and it has been a little while. Uh, we discovered that our our um, roof was basically falling apart, so we had to have our um, uh, roof uh, redone. Which uh, oh my god, <laughs> yeah, which uh, not not like well, I guess they took the hard bit off, replaced the soft bit underneath, and then put the hard bit back on. I don't understand building, but that's basically what what they did. Yep the the under felting and and thank all that. you yeah. thank you yeah, and may I say if you are a slightly anxious person with disapproving neighbours, can I just say what an absolute joy it is to be trapped in a house for a couple of days while while someone is 
basically hammering constantly above your head. <laughs> that was delightful. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. I've been doing my, my day job from home as well, which involves being on the phone to people while builders are in my back garden, hammering and sawing and drilling. And the number of phone calls where it's like, I'm very sorry, there are builders around. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's life nowadays, isn't it? I mean, have you even had the opportunity to distract yourself with entertaining fiction or comics or has it just been you're dreaming of nails and rebar i have had a few moments here and there um we've been watching some of the old godzilla films uh when we when we get the chance so that's quite fun and i've, I've read a few things just finished some turtles comics read an issue uh for this last night read the uh not an issue of jla because that's not what we're doing today but uh yeah i've, I've had some downtime i what have I read? I don't know. I don't know what I've read. I kind of stuck my head back into the authority. Oh, okay. Yeah, a bit of a weird one. Because uh, I know in no way JLA related, but I, I know someone made the point once that circa 1997, it was like this bold new era for superhero comics, supposedly. And you had JLA by Grant Morrison and Howard Porter and others, and you had The Authority, and both were kind of seen as like these big blockbuster uh, superhero titles at the time. So you would have, yeah, it would have been the same time. You would have had Busick and Perez on Avengers, wouldn't you? Yes. I've always, as we've said many a time, and clearly it's ripe for revisiting, but the Busick-Perez run is a very different beast to... Something like JLA, even. Oh, yeah. More classical, for lack of a better word. Yeah, it's. I think it was Busick very much leaning into old continuity and, and having fun with it. And, um, yeah, it's... To be honest, when I think Avengers in comics, that's what I think of, the Busick and Perez run. Yeah, me too. Me too, to be honest. Um, although it is weird that, like, how... I was thinking about this earlier. Like, weird... Don't know why this came to mind, but I was thinking about uh, Thor... And how and what the movies have done for that character, and also Captain mm. America to some extent, because you know I really, really loved the Busick uh, Perez run on Avengers. Fantastic, um, it kind of like the definitive versions of those characters for me. But it's interesting that like Thor has for about <laughs> well decades, half a century or whatever, basically just been big, strong guy who is kind of grumpy sometimes a little stoic <laughs> you, you know uh, he's not he didn't have the deepest personality i would say no i'd i'd agree with that and it's very interesting that the movies have now made him this big kind of goofball which i kind of love as well but yeah, yeah I, I guess so much of that just comes out of like chris hemsworth and that's probably going to inform comics to come and like a whole generation is going to grow up thinking of Thor as this slightly lighter zanier character yeah I think for a long time it was very hard to do anything with Thor because no, no one really thought to give him much of a personality for a long time they tried you know you do get things like um, the Walt Simonson run which really does lean heavily into the epic mythology, brings in Beta Ray Bill and uh, I believe 
uh, Eric Masterson as well, who became Thor's civilian identity, but was also a guy with his own life and everything. So attempts were made, but none of it felt particularly... None of it really stuck. Thor would always just revert to being this big, surly warrior guy. I think probably, for me, it would be, again, the Heroes Return run that was done by Dan Jurgens and, uh, at first, John Romita Jr., where they actually did do some interesting stuff with Thor and, and eventually had him become King of Asgard. And Oh, yeah. And yeah. there was some really interesting stuff in that run that I really enjoyed. Do you remember... And it's so weird, isn't it? Like the F. Uh, I know we're talking about the Avengers right now, but I think this this applies to all superheroes. Um, the weird attempts to modernize Thor's general look over yep. the years, because I mean, I'm thinking of like um, the uh, uh, Marvel versus DC and oh, Thor, 90s Thor, <laughs> which was my introduction to like '90s Thor costume, which is a a thing to behold like it is it, it's a lot there's a lot going on there uh, yeah the, uh, too much doesn't he it's a lot of chains i seem to recall and doesn't he have like wow. um like the a crop 90s top? yeah <laughs> i mean he's got he's got a cool helmet on i seem to recall and a lot of hair which i can get behind in that 90s kind of way it was weird because as well there was a, a period where he seemed to fluctuate between costumes i think if you read Onslaught, I think if you read the Avengers books and the Thor books at the time, he was in that costume. But then in all his guest appearances during Onslaught, like in the X-Men titles, he was just wearing blue trousers and he yeah. was topless. Which brings to mind, oh, am I dreaming? It, it, doesn't Thor turn up in an Incredible Hulk movie? Yes, yes. It's... Um, not Death of or Trial of, but one of the other ones. Because there were four, weren't there? I can't remember what, yeah. what it's called. Cause Trial of is Daredevil, and Death of didn't have any other characters in it. But yeah, he was definitely in one of them. I can't remember. Did he have much of a costume there, or was he just like a topless dude with No, long, he was. Hair? It was pro it was sort of a more traditional Viking garb, so it was all furs. And ah, right, all right, yeah, yeah. Good old Thor. He tries. <laughs> the um. Don't know where I was going with that. Sorry, my brain just died kind of mid mid conversation. <laughs> this is what happens, PJ. It's been a year. Actually, come to think of it, it's very nearly, very 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 nearly been a year of um, the JLA cast. Oh God, has it really? Yeah, I think we went live at the end of April. Good Lord. I mean, we dropped kind of like five episodes at once. So you and I have personally been recording for for over a year now. I'd say. But yeah. We've nearly been live for a year. That's that's really, that's weird. That is weird, isn't it? Yeah. And we haven't run... Well, oh God, I was going to say we haven't run out of things to talk about yet, but maybe this is the episode where it happens. Oh, I doubt it. We've got <laughs> lots of issues of JLA to go, and then we've got lots of other things we can talk about. Uh, yes, folks, it's true. Uh, you know, 23 years in the past, we're, we're probably not going to run out of stuff to talk about. <laughs> <just yet. laughs> we but PJ, what the hell are we talking about this episode? So this episode... You know, we're still not back on the main JLA series. We've got a, had a bit of a break. We had those three episodes where we looked at Earth 2, and then last episode was Secret Files and Origins 2. This issue, we are looking at what in my copy of, of Strength in Numbers, the trade, is billed as Prometheus Villains 1. Oh, interesting. Mine's just called 
Uh, wait, where are you reading that? Is that like on the title that, page or? Uh, no, that's literally on the inside front cover. The the sort of the actual list of it, what issues this book reprints is is printed on the cardboard cover on the inside of it for me. Yeah, no, mine just says Prometheus parentheses villains. So oh, there we okay. Go. But I, I'm sure as well that this was part of. DC had a month where they had uh, tie-in titles related to villains in books, and it was called something like New Year's Evil. Yes, it was. I, I wasn't the project that they got a bunch of creators and said, "We want you to each create a new a new villain." Yes, and every issue will just be the origin story of a new villain. Yes, that. That does sound familiar. I don't remember any of the other villains. <laughs> that might be worth a Google. We might have to look that one up. But I, I think, personally, I think that's a great little idea. That's a daft gimmick, but it's quite a fun one. Yeah, I really like that. And, and, it, and you know, it gave us Prometheus, who is, at least under Morrison, an amazing character. Now, uh, I, I, I want to get it out there nice and early. I love Prometheus. I absolutely love Prometheus. He's he's one of my favourite DC characters. And it's interesting that that is almost entirely due to this run on JLA because the character has not had much of a life beyond these pages. No, it he's he has a cameo in JLA Avengers that I actually really like. I think mm. that's a really really cool cameo. And then other writers did try and use him, but they used him really badly. He sort of ended up being a, a villain in Batman books more than anywhere else. Uh, they set up a rivalry between Batman and Prometheus, but none of those writers seemed to be able to get Prometheus right. He just he went from being a threat to a bit of a joke villain, and I feel like that is a real, real shame. I feel like it's a disservice to everything Morrison did with the character. Uh I think so as well because, and I was I was going to say this off air, but I thought I'd save it for 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 you know our listeners because God knows they want they want this insight. Um, <laughs> but given you know there's like there's a real angling in in DC to be like who's the anti Batman, like mm. who's the perfect foil to Batman, who's they can have badass fights, and it's very often uh, uh, death uh, death Deathstroke. Yeah, Deathstroke the Terminator. Like it's, uh, you know, if you're putting together a, a, a modern gnarly injustice gang, you've got to have someone for Batman to fight. So yeah, it's like the only person who could be the equal of Batman. And it's, I just find it so weird that the fandom, and I guess editorial hasn't latched onto Prometheus for that opportunity because he is literally the anti-Batman. That is entirely his point. Yeah, he's he's as smart as Batman. He he cheats in a different way. So there's there are we'll get to them in in the next couple of weeks, but there are certain things Prometheus does that Batman just would not do. Um but he is someone who has no powers of his own, but is able to hold his own against the entire Justice League. And his and as we're going to see, because we're going to be exploring his origin story, it's a direct inversion 
of Batman's origin story. Yes, it is. And also, in silhouette, because of the way Prometheus's helmet is designed as well, and with his cape, his silhouette is very similar to Batman's as well, and I've got to believe that's a conscious decision. Well, I've, um, I know that Morrison is a fairly decent artist in their own right. Um, certainly when it comes to character designs, like if you ever get a deluxe edition of one of their books, and they'll quite frequently include like a note to the, the the artist going like this character should look like this but better mm. um and i i'm looking at prometheus and and thinking of some of morrison's little doodles i i i would strongly suspect that morrison sketched out or completely designed prometheus's look um no no discredit meant to arnie jorgensen if that's not the case um who's the artist on this on this book but um yeah, it just—it's got Morrison's thumbprint all over Prometheus. Yeah, I'm looking at the cover to this issue now, actually, and Prometheus's mask looks quite different on it. But yeah, the shape is very much—he's got the cape, the padding on the shoulders, and his mask, his helmet has these two pointy bits that come up. It's not a bat cowl, but if you just put him in shadow, that would be Batman. Yeah, come to think of it, because I'm looking at that little cover now as well. It's actually striking how different that that one image is of Prometheus. It's like whoever did the cover art, and I don't know who that is because they're not credited in this particular no. version. Uh, it's like they didn't get the memo or something on how Prometheus is meant to look. Yeah, because I don't, I don't. It doesn't match the art inside the book, so I don't think it's uh, Jorgensen. It doesn't look like Porter either, though. No, so... because in a couple of issues, because it's included on the same page, you've got. Um, uh, Howard Porter cover to JLA, which has Prometheus on, and that's like for me quintessential Prometheus. Like Porter just gets his look perfectly. Yeah, I'm just flipping forward, and I don't really think the cover image doesn't bear much resemblance at all to how Jorgensen draws him in this. No, no, I. The Jorgensen version looks a lot like the Porter version on that cover yeah. you've just mentioned. So yeah, I have no idea who drew that cover. I'm going to look this up right now. Right, well, um, while PJ is talking then, I will try and fill in. Yeah, um, no, 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 the other thing. While PJ is researching, I'll try and talk. Damn it, what's wrong with me? Um, <laughs> but no, I, I think it's worth saying, and I've, I've said this several times before, uh, that my first introduction to Morrison's JLA was actually the last book in the Morrison run. So it was World War Three. So I kind of tuned in not knowing what the hell was going on, like what kind of like plot lines have been developing over like the previous five books. And I loved every single minute of it because it gave me such a sense of like mystique. And I hope this isn't too much of a spoiler, but Prometheus turns up in that final volume. So even though this is the introduction to Prometheus, my personal introduction to Prometheus was later in the series. And... I honestly just fell in love with him from that first appearance. Like, he was just the most kind of sinister, chilling presence you could imagine. It really made me kind of, like, go, like, oh, crap. You know, like, our heroes are, are, in, are, in, are in trouble because of this guy. What have you found, PJ? Help me. L uh, literally nothing yet. <laughs> Maybe it's I'm lost. I'm struggling to... to find this issue online. Uh, hang on. Maybe hang it's on. Lost keep talking, John. Keep talking. Uh, uh, uh. 
Okay, yeah, so um, we've got this weird little scenario here where we have an issue uh, which was originally released as New Year's Evil. Found it. Uh, oh, he's got it, thank God. Uh, who is it? The cover art is by Jason Pearson. Oh. Not a name that rings a bell, actually. No, I'm just looking up what else they've done. Uh, apparently writer, penciler, inker, cover artist... Did some work on Starman, Legion of Superheroes, Teen Titans. Yeah, that's about it that I can find. No, what was that? I'm what not looking that? very hard, but no. What was that name again? Jason Pearson. Jason Pearson. Okay, Jason. With apologies. Hi. Uh, um, we might have to look more into New Year's Evil, as we were saying, to like try and work out what other villains kind of yeah. turned up in it, or whether it was a bit like. Um, Earth 2, where it was meant to be like a series which just kind of didn't get off the ground or something. <laughs> yeah, we will. We will. I'm not doing more research now. I've just done some and it was exhausting, but we will look into it another time. Well, PJ, uh, with with research out of the way, should we should we dive into this uh, this odd little odd little issue? Let's do it. So, where do we begin? We begin with a splash page. Which is a close-up of Prometheus's helmeted head, and he's just saying, "I guess you could say I was a child of the Love Generation." So we already know that this is going to be his origin, narrated by him. It's a hell of a, it's a hell of an opening. Like it's a real, really strong kind of. Just what the hell? <laughs> who, who, who is this guy? Who I should say, looks great here. Yes, like yeah, he really does. Arnie Jorgensen who's going to be our guest for the next couple of issues. Uh, just hell of an image. Like, he just looks so menacing. Yeah, it's so striking. Like, I I can't really imagine... Because, see, when I was first reading Strength in Numbers, I, I had read them in order, but this was the first Justice League stuff I'd ever read. I wasn't really that familiar with the JLA's history at the time and other villains they may have faced. So I don't think I really got the impact that maybe someone who had been reading JLA or Justice League for a long time may have got when this new new villain suddenly just appears from almost from out of nowhere and the first thing you see of them is this page. I, I, I can't really imagine the impact that might have had, but it, it was probably pretty big. It's that classic um, Morrison kind of juxtaposition of like big menacing um, image and then like a piece of dialogue which is so seemingly seemingly out of place that it kind of just takes you you're a bit off guard and you're like what the hell like what's going on <laughs> how would you how would you describe prometheus's look to somebody who's not familiar with him well i he, he's dressed sort of in purple and black and on on this image here which is says mostly just his his head he's got i describe it as, a, as almost a knight's helmet so with a visor down over his eyes, only really his mouth is showing, and then he's got like a silver chin guard strap over the, over the bottom bit of his face. But then there are these two techno gizmo rod things coming out of the side of his helmet that in, in this image are crackling with electricity, and there's some sort of pink lights on them as well. Um, it, yeah, it's it's like he's a futuristic knight. The helmet is definitely like strong the strong point it's kind of like um it's like a really kind of gnarly version of like a lego helmet 
Yeah. Do you remember like you get like the little chunky kind of space helmets or like a, a racing driver helmet you put on a Lego man? Yeah, exactly. And I don't know if it's immediately, it's certainly not immediately kind of apparent because a lot of superheroes have like crackly energy all around them. And you don't know if that's just like artistic license. But with Prometheus, it, it actually serves a purpose. Like we, don't we learn later that the likes on his helmet are actually meant to be like disorientating strobes to like kind of confuse his opponents? Yeah, exactly. So they, they, they just, they'll strobe in a, in a way that distracts or attempts to hypnotize or, or otherwise incapacitate anyone he's, he's facing in combat. And I, 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 I love him, but I think this is quintessential good 90s design, to be honest. I agree. Like, I, think, I think Prometheus is one of the best new characters to come out of the 90s. And, I'm sorry, I know we're still on the first page, but you, you've got to wonder like about Morrison's kind of long-term planning or when DC decided to do this concept for New Year's Evil. Because, obviously, Morrison decides to restructure the League quite significantly, as we saw mm. in the last issue, and we're going to see a bit more of. Um, deliberately modelling the League on the Greek gods. Uh, yeah, Steel comes in because Steel is uh, Hephaestus, the blacksmith of the gods. Um, uh, you've Flash is Mercury. I can't suddenly think of any other Greek gods. Superman is Zeus, that sort of thing. Batman is Hades. You could go on and on and on. Um, and of course, who stole fire from the gods? It's Prometheus. So it, I don't know. It's just it's a wonderful piece of forward planning to suddenly have like. I don't know. I'd, I'd love to, again, to have been a fly on the wall and to think, how did New Year's Evil come about? I don't know. Do you know I, I found when I was moving house, we've talked about it before, but I actually found it uh, the other week, my copy of the Wizard JLA special from around this time, oh. where which has an interview with Morrison in it where they do talk about how they structured the League as, as the Greek gods and the creation of Prometheus. So I will try and read that before we do our next episode. Oh, yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah, definitely. No, I will get onto that. But in the meantime, our next page <laughs> goes right into some action, and we also get our title and credits here. So the story is called There Was a Crooked Man, with Grant Morrison, writer, Arnie Jorgensen, penciler, David Mikis, in inker, Janice Chang, letterer, James Sinclair is the colorist, Heroic Age did the separations, Peter Tomasi was the associate editor, and Dan Raspler was the editor. And we see... Again, uh, a child of the love generation, we see two, well, maybe hippies, for lack of a better word, uh, uh, flower children with, you know, bangles and flowers in their hair, robbing a pawn shop where they have shot and killed the shop owner. And they are charging out of the shop with money uh, kind of flying through the air, guns blazing. And yeah, it's apparently a husband and wife uh, or yeah. Just a, a happy couple, and they've got a, a a baby in a little papoose around around the mother's uh, shoulders, <laughs> uh, which I believe is you know it's Prometheus. We're supposed to infer that here, but they're basically saying let's let's just kill everybody in town. Is their plan at the moment? Yeah. So not only are they, you know, thieves and robbers and and gangsters or whatever, but they're loving it. Like they are, they they everything um, bad people. I think you could say. <laughs> yes. Um, and yeah, and then they effortlessly 
leap into a car while shooting at the cops. And it's like a very twisted, happy family sort of thing. Like, they clearly love each other very much, and they also kill a lot of people. Even even baby Prometheus looks like he's having a great time. <laughs> In his papoose, which is just a fun <laughs> word to say. <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, so and his narration comes back in. He's basically saying that, like, you know, my mom and dad were the coolest people I ever knew. Yeah, he says, it, you know, guesses it was the same for most kids, but he didn't meet many other children because they didn't stay in one place for very long. And then the scene cuts to a few years later, and his parents are still driving very fast, shooting guns at their pursuers. But Prometheus is now a bit older in the back and clearly still having a blast. And I guess the interesting thing is, it's that if you take his narration completely separately from the images, uh, they tell quite different stories. Like his narration is the sort of thing you could actually say to someone. It doesn't actually have any. It, he's not saying like my parents were criminals. He's just um, it's a juxtaposition thing, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I, I like that aspect of of this that he's telling his origin while we see what the actual situation was yeah it's 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 you're, you're seeing one thing you're hearing another uh but yeah little kid prometheus having a great time in the back of a car while his mom has basically like an uzi and it's just like letting rip and they appear to be Thelma and louising it off a canyon or something i think yeah they're, they're trying to jump over a, a bridge that's out i think is is what's Basically, his parents fancy themselves, yeah, either Thelma and Louise or, or Bonnie and Clyde, or, or you know, they're outlaws. They they don't follow the rules, and and they don't need to because they've got each other. Yeah, maybe maybe Thelma and Louise is a bad analogy because we have to assume that they actually make the landing here. Um, <laughs> and yeah, you get this weird kind of thing where they're hiding out in the desert, I guess, like around a campfire, and Prometheus is basically talking to this unseen listener and basically talking about like how smart his dad is and how his, in another world his dad would have been the richest man in America. Uh, mostly because he's holding a very old, again this is in the past, he's holding like an old computer chip, motherboard sort of thing and showing it off. Yeah, this is clearly a way this comic dates itself because was he set in the 90s so we can infer that these flashbacks are supposed to be about 30 years ago so computers were sort of just coming in and, and and Prometheus's dad is talking about how that everyone's going to have a computer in their own home or wherever they live, and they're probably going to be as small as a fridge by then. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, I th <laughs> obviously thirty years ago now would be nineteen ninety one. So, <laughs> and uh, you know, sowing a seed that uh, Prometheus has apparently had an interest in technology from a young age. But I like the way this page is laid out as well, because you have at the top of the page them their car jumping off a bridge or something while they escape. And then you've got that little scene in the desert. And then the final panel is Prometheus basically saying, I loved them, I was just a kid, I never wanted it to end, as a different car lands, <laughs> having made a jump from a bridge. So they're still just doing the same thing over and over again. But yeah, I really love the layout of that. I think it's really cool. And suddenly, uh, snap, yeah, really hard kind of, transition to um, Prometheus crying in the car as a kid and his parents basically bleeding out and they are absolutely surrounded 
by police cars, like clearly at the end of some absolutely bloody chase. It's one of those things that I really like that comics can do sometimes where, you know, the turn of a page can shock you because you, you, you're on the one page, you don't see, you, you can't look over to see what's happening next. And then as you turn to your next double page spread, all of a sudden there's this carnage and this blood and this emotion because Prometheus is crying. He's sad that his his parents have, have been shot and stuff. And it is it's a it's a real shock. And I think it's something that comics do very well, is just being able to have that shock moment over the page. Yeah, and again, the sense of you know, the transition of time, which is something which the comic comics medium does wonderful things with. Because yeah, you we've gotten a sense of an entire well, not an entire lifetime, but an entire childhood in just a couple of pages. Really, it tells mm. you, it tells you so much uh, in so few panels. Yeah. So you've got Prometheus is is crying as his parents are bleeding out, and they comfort him and say, "Yeah, we love you. We're always going to love you. We always did love you." And then they basically jump out of the car, start firing at the police, shouting, "Make us more famous than Elvis!" And they get taken down in a hail of bullets. Yeah, and Prometheus, this little kid, is... I guess we never get his real name, but um, he's just kind of standing there, uh, I guess kind of covered in the blood of his parents. And uh, his uh, the poli- a police officer tries to approach him, you know, says, you know, we're, you know, we know you're going through hell, but we're here to help. And... Um, Prometheus just turns and hisses at them like an animal. And as he says, he says, it's weird. My hair turned white that day. It's been that way ever since. And yeah, his hair is now completely white. Now, this is something I have read about happening in or seen on TV happening in fiction so many times. A big traumatic event like this, turning someone's hair white. I don't think I've ever seen it happen in real life. So I don't know if that is a real thing. I know. I keep. It's one of those weird things where I have a, I have a smartphone. I have access to the internet. I could look it up any time and I somehow keep forgetting. And at periodic moments in my life, I keep making like a mental note to go, Google whether a, whether someone's hair can turn white through intense shock. Uh, and I just never get around to it. I'm sure. I don't know. People can lose their hair through like intense shock, can't they? Can uh, Alopecia? Is that the one? Alopecia, yeah. Alopecia, yeah. I'm, I'm going to Google it right now. I'm going to do more research. I've recovered from the last research I did. This is the episode of pure, pure research. Um, can, can your hair turn white from fear? Uh, it is, in fact, medically impossible. <laughs> there oh, <you> go. <laughs> comics lying to me again. So I, from the disappointment of finding out that it is scientifically impossible for your hair to turn white due to uh, shock... We transition to uh, the present day, where two superheroes are having a conversation. <laughs> this is scientifically possible. <laughs> See, so this page, when you when you turn over, I I feel that this is Jorgensen doing a very good um, impression's the wrong word, but it feels very close to Howard Porter at mm. this point. When you the previous scenes were very stylized, it felt very much like this was Jorgensen making his making it his own. But when you get to these pages, it the way he draws... There's a character here sitting on a sofa in a superhero costume. So it's a white costume, sort of a greeny, turquoise cape with uh, blue pants, boots and gloves. And it looks very Porter. And I feel like this is 
Jorgensen doing that on purpose, sort of to say this is the present day, we're getting close to the actual JLA here, and whereas the past ones he's he's changed his style up. Mm. And I'm very impressed at an artist who can do that within the space of one issue. Oh, for sure. And I think it's worth saying, like, I've not, outside of the pages of JLA and the few kind of guest issues he did, I'm not massively familiar with the work of Arnie Jorgensen. And, no, me um, neither. But I've got to say, it's very good. And he's got a very good grasp of, like, space and layout. Mm. Like, he, 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 he fits a lot into the pages without it feeling cluttered. It's very, it's very impressive, I've got to say. Yeah, it really is. So we've got this superhero character who basically is his who Prometheus has been talking to. And he says, that's a cool origin story. I didn't spend much time on mine. I figured they'd only use a soundbite. And this this character is basically in this room with Prometheus. And he's saying, this is a weird place. I thought I was going to meet the TV people down the street, but then they told me to come here. And Prometheus says, well, your name is Retro, and this place is kind of 70s. Um, This is the... Third time in the issue that Morrison has basically pulled the rug out from under yeah. your feet and made you think that one thing one thing's happening and then a different thing is happening that suddenly puts it all into context again. So yeah, apparently this dude Retro is uh, just a normal dude. He's just a normal dude, and he's won some contests to be a hero for a day and to basically come up with his own superhero identity and then to go hang out with the Justice League for a day. And are we to believe that Prometheus is the same, but he's won the villain contest? Well, Retro says, I didn't know there was going to be a villain contest winner. And then he asks, he says to Prometheus, do you work out too? As Prometheus places a tiny CD into a CD drive on his helmet. Maybe maybe the thing that dates this comic more than anything is Prometheus's use of mini-discs. Ah, oh, I remember tiny CDs. I, I, remem- I remember tiny CDs. Um, it is wild to think that Prometheus has a mini-disc spinning <laughs> in his helmet at all times. I know. Uh, I, I, lo- I love the idea that if this were like animated or live action, the the, the the tray would be slightly clear so that you could actually see the disc spinning in the helmet. The thing is, I used to, as a as a, as a young teen PJ before the uh, the advent of um, uh, you know um, MP3 players and the like, and I didn't really have a Walkman for a cassette, but I had a little CD player, tiny little CD player, just big enough to like fit in a coat pocket mm. or the size of a CD, basically. And I would walk around listening to music on this tiny CD player in my pocket. And they do not travel well. Like, if, no. you, if you step a little too hard, that thing skips like no one's business. So I don't know how, how, uh, don't know how Prometheus is coping. Yeah, well, I, I had one too, a Discman, I think they were called, weren't they? Um, oh, that'd be it. My God, yeah. Yeah, the, the brief period in between my Walkman and my iPod was horrible for listening to music. Yeah, um, and I guess nowadays Prometheus would have like, well, I was going to say like an SD card, but thank, frankly, he'd probably just have data in the cloud. He'd be uh, he'd be um, recording QR codes off people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, bear in mind that Prometheus is loading a mini disc into his helmet. That will become relevant uh, later. Um, but yeah, but he basically. I don't know. Again, you are suddenly left wondering how reliable a narrator 
Prometheus is all of a yeah. sudden because from that incredibly intense origin story, he is almost flippant with retro, like he's cracking a couple of sarcastic comments and stuff. And yeah, he asks retro to tell him his origin story. This is what I love about Prometheus and the way Morrison handled Prometheus is in these few pages alone, Prometheus already has more character <laughs> to him than so many other villains who've been around for years and years at this point. <laughs> and it's one of the things that really makes me love Prometheus as a character. It's something we'll talk about further in, in his other appearances down the line, but later, a lot later on, there will be a confrontation between Prometheus and Oracle that I love. Oh my the god, conversation so they have. We're not, we won't get into it now. It's a ways off, but yeah, that's coming, and I love it. And you can tell that Morrison is having fun with Prometheus. It's just like loving every minute with the character because, again, and I think Prometheus says something in his in his own words later. But like, it's not just that he's smart. It's not just that he's strong and clever and resourceful he's 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 a crooked man like there's something kind of broken about him where he just i don't know he's like a kind of cracked mirror he just brilliant but kind of looks at the world in a very weird way it's very appealing but he knows it as well he knows mm. what he is and he embraces it and you can't help but admire <laughs> that about him i guess i know you want to you actually kind of root for him even though yeah. he's the bad guy a good villain, everybody. Uh, and then we also have Retro, who um, claims that uh, he got hit by rays from the past and they turned him into Retro. Today's hero, yesterday's attitude. And here comes Justice. That is a very 90, late 50s, early 60s origin for a hero. And again, I love that too. I think it's brilliant. It's just lovely embracing the the silliness of, of superhero origins back in the day. It's so funny, isn't it? Because he's saying it is as like, you know, today's hero, yesterday's attitude, you know, and he's saying like, you know, I'm like a, a retro superhero. But it's interesting reading this nowadays and to think that, like, that could also be taken completely the wrong way. <laughs> Where he's like, yesterday's attitude. Oh, dear. <laughs> From when? Oh, so you're racist and sexist. <laughs> I'm just saying that a woman's place is in the kitchen. Jesus, retro. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Not the opinions of a podcast host, I should say. We're just making a joke at how awful the world used to be. And still yeah. is in some places. <laughs> That's why we like escapism and joining evil villains on their crusades. Yeah, come on, Prometheus, burn it all down. <laughs> um, but, yeah, there's actually um, a fun bit of, um, I guess, Morrison meta-commentary here where um, Retro is saying that he reckons the judges liked him. Because this is all just a story he made up. It's not true. But they reckon they liked him because he wasn't like all the other guys with claws and chains and stuff. The 90s. <laughs> and also a fun little joke and a fun little wink to the reader because Retro goes, yeah, you know, I think they like me because I wasn't covered in, like, chains and claws. I wasn't spawn. Uh, he goes, it's getting, it's getting dark, huh? Like, wink, wink at the camera. And then Prometheus <laughs> just goes, yeah, I think they wanted to get some photos of the moon in the background. <laughs> and it's like, oh, suddenly, like, back, back to reality. 
But what what I love as well though is first of all Retro does say to Prometheus, "What would you do if you had powers like Superman?" And Prometheus's line is, "I don't know. I'd do good deeds and help people, I guess." And you can sort of tell he's like, what? "This is this, this is what you want to hear, isn't it?" But then in the panel where he does say, "I guess they wanted pictures with with the moon in the background," he looks so casual. He's just leaning back into this big comfy. It looks like a futon actually, and he's got a little smirk on his face and. Yeah, he's so in control, and he's enjoying himself. He's just chilling. He's just having a nice time. Again, you can't help but like the guy. Yeah. Um, But yeah, but Retro says he's a little nervous about using the teleporter, and just goes like, you know, Prometheus, you know, have you got any more of your origin story? That was pretty cool. (laughs) And yeah, we're suddenly right back into uh, Prometheus's origin story, where... He's doing the long, dark tea time of the soul sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, this is a splash page. This is says, a well, splash page. I made a decision that night, and it's Prometheus on his knees on top of a pile of junk as rain and lightning fall behind him, just his his arms in the sky and looking up, effectively screaming into the night. And, you know, it's that classic, oh, I will avenge my parents' death kind of image. And I think what's fun is it's playing with superhero conventions where you get it, like you get what's happening here. It's it's the moment where that, it's a moment where the protagonist suddenly decides to get the sewing kit out and make a fun costume <laughs> and go punch people in alleys. Um, but yeah, and then Prometheus goes, "Yeah, I, I decided to annihilate the forces of justice." And I do like that retro goes, oh, well, you you may as well aim high, I suppose." Well, that's it. Retro hasn't twigged that this is an actual supervillain. He thinks he's just having a conversation with another nerd, basically. It's such a fun setup. Yeah. Like, it's such a fun setup. Like, it, yeah, it's just such a weird, a weird scenario. It's kind of brilliant. And then Prometheus continues the story. He says his his mum and dad had saved a lot of money and he had underworld contacts thanks to his parents and that there is honour among thieves. Uh, especially if you have enough dirt on the local mob boss to bury him for a hundred years, and uh, I guess a weird little a weird little quirk is that uh, we see Prometheus Young uh, digging up like a, a suitcase full of money, uh, and there is a neon sign next to him that says the Welcome Fire Motel. I hadn't noticed that before. I, I know just... where that's going. I hadn't noticed it before. <laughs> yeah, just just something to be aware of. Um, and yeah, and we basically, we chart, you know, some developments in young Prometheus's life where he blackmails a mob boss, gets a new identity, and then boards a plane and travels the world, basically. He, he goes to what looks like a classic English private school. Hogwarts, it looks a bit basically. Hogwarts, yeah. <laughs> a little hogs, Hogwartsy. <laughs> Uh, and then he mingles with the rich and powerful and acquires their secrets. Then he trains with Silat masters in the jungles of Malaysia, uh, learns how to maim and kill people in a dozen different languages, and then he just goes and starts shooting people. Yeah, he goes back and kills the police officer who tried to help him back in the day. Yeah, yeah. And now you might be thinking to yourself, this sounds quite familiar to a certain other origin story. Yeah, it does sound very Green Lantern. 
<laughs> and then he coughed up a power ring. Uh, <laughs> I do wonder if it would. There's a fantastic fan reality I feel where um, a very young Prometheus is trekking through the jungles to meet kind of martial art masters and kind of just passes Bruce Wayne heading the other direction. <laughs> they oh they they did do something similar once in a uh, one shot comic superman the odyssey which was sort of a, a, a one shot about superman traveling the world at, at the very beginning of learning he had powers and things and there's one point where he goes to Tibet, walks up some steps and coming down the steps is another guy about the same age with dark hair and superman walks past him and goes oh that guy looked a bit, bit grim and that guy has batman's shadow the <laughs> actual cowl is his shadow so it's meant to be bruce wayne going the other way <laughs> how many I do love the idea that there was a point in in early DC Universe history where you just couldn't take a step without tripping over a driven young man on his <laughs> on, on his origin story. Yeah. Uh, um, but Morrison and uh, Arnie having a lot of fun with splash pages in this story because we suddenly have another great splash s- splash image where um, young Prometheus arrives at this insane mountain structure somewhere in tibet i feel yeah so this is the thing about this comic i in my head when i started reading it last night it was longer than a normal issue for some reason i had that in my head that it was more pages mm. but it's not i when oh. i went and checked back it's, it's the same length as a standard issue of jla but i think they get so much story into it, which is impressive as well with the number of splash pages they've got. None of the pacing feels off. None of it feels like like it's moving too quickly or that you're missing out on anything. But they managed to get so much story into this. It's really impressive. Oh, it is, yeah. I mean, like, no no good comic feels too long, you know. Uh, yeah. It, it's, oh, wait, no. Maybe I've got that wrong. But no, it's, <laughs> it's just a credit. If you read a comic and think gosh that felt twice as long as a regular comic like it means it's good it means you've yeah. you've gotten your money's worth out of it yes exactly exactly uh but yeah so uh young prometheus backpacking through the mountaintops arrives at this insane terrifying rope bridge leading to like the weirdest mountain you could imagine it's basically like a well, it's like a almost like a tower or like a weird elongated turd kind of just like rising up. But with with shapes and shadows on it that make it look like almost like it's screaming in a weird way. It looks like they're almost faces that are screaming that make up this bizarre mountain with a weird monastery on top of it. It's very much like, well, I mean, even in like movie logic, it's very much like Batman coming to the League of Shadows or whatever, yeah. you know, it's it's just you've clearly got to find like an ancient uh, Tibetan hideaway if you're going to become a, a superhero. That's just how it happens. But what I love then is on the next page, the first panel, we get the narration I've been half-heartedly searching for the entrance to Shambhala, a mythical kingdom of evil that's supposed to extend beneath the Tibetan peaks into Mongolia. Long story short, I found it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I don't need to tell you about all the in-between stuff. I was searching for this thing. I found it. There we go. Move on. Yeah, and again, to cut a long story short, uh, after living with the monks there for a while, it turns out that there's a giant spaceship under under the mountain. Yeah, Prometheus had been living there for a year, and then the, the llama 
not the animal, the actual guy, the, the head monk, appears and beckons for him to follow. So he goes down 10,000 stairs, and there's Shambhala. And it was, yeah, it's a spaceship that they go through, and then there's a key to the void that opens it up. And this is where things get even weirder. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, can we... So the 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 chief monk has the key around his neck, which is a wonderfully weird little design. Like, it's kind of hard to describe. It's like a weird squiggle of... Two, it's like a two-dimensional thing. It looks like it's made of paper or like very thin metal. And Think it's of just... the kind of shape Jack Kirby would draw on a character's costume in like the late sixties, early seventies. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And it, it's just utterly white, like utterly, utterly white, and as if like it's a hole in the page. And little Kirby dots are coming off it of white as well. I love it. I think it's a really cool visual. Yeah, me too. I think it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So the, the llama produces it and then morphs into this weird Geiger-esque <laughs> mass of of green flesh and eyeballs and mouths and teeth with just an odd shape. Basically saying he's one of the aliens that was in this ship, or at least descended from. Um... And yeah. <laughs> Prometheus, and I do love that, like, despite being very competent, you have this shot of, like, Prometheus stabbing and killing this alien. And he actually looks a little traumatised, like his, his, his clothes are torn, he's bleeding. But he won. But it's also like a kind of, like, bloody hell, what the hell just happened? Even even his narration says, I, I can't really say I understand what happened. It's like he doesn't really remember the fight he had with this thing, just remembers killing it and then he says afterwards the other monks just let me go a new llama was in charge and he looked just like the old one and with that brilliant moment we suddenly transition back to the present day where Prometheus actually brings the cosmic key out of his costume clearly proving beyond a shadow of a doubt that his origin story is real and Yeah. yeah we suddenly are somewhere else. I do like the moment where he pulls it out and he says, I thought I'd call it the Cosmic Key. And Retro goes, uh, okay, but I think there might already be... Uh, and then <laughs> everything goes white and they're in the void. Now, a lot to unpack here, but there is... I love the... And it turns up a few times. I love the sound effect associated with the Cosmic Key, mm. which is just click. K-L-I-K. And... Okay, yeah, so we are now in the void, uh, and all the colours go, well, if not quite black and white, but incredibly muted. It's grayscale. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, PJ, you've got it. Uh, take, the, take the reins here, because there's too much for me to unpack, I think. So, yeah, they're, they're in like a wooden structure. You can see the, a timber roof above them and some walls that are not right. And Prometheus does say, nothing built straight here, but that suits me fine. And their costumes are now grey, varying shades of grey, black and white. Retro's skin and hair are still flesh colour and blonde, but they, as, as John said, very muted. And Retro 
he's spinning around, looking around him to say, what the hell's happening? And there's two speech bubbles from him. One is just dot, dot, dot. And the other is the word awesome with a full stop. <laughs> but you get the feeling he doesn't mean that. He is starting to freak out. And Prometheus is sat in this weird floating chair that is, it's like a a, a big ovoid spherical thing with gadgets poking out of it and inside it and yeah it's it's a really weird striking image and then we get another splash page <laughs> Which, i love it oh my god it's so good um prometheus says yeah nothing builds straight here suits me fine a crooked house for a crooked man and we basically have like a kind of grim fairy tale tim burton-esque fairy tale house hmm with no straight lines, like it's it's crooked and bent and twisted, and it's floating on a tiny island of dirt in an expanse of nothing, like just utter pure white. Yeah, and what I love is it's even got a little fence that slowly <laughs> falls off the, the the mound of dirt and into the void, and there's a tiny little mailbox on its own tiny mound of dirt just to the left, uh, just to the right of it. <laughs> now. Clearly, this was quite influential on me because I don't want to say that I completely ripped off the concept of a void <laughs> for Afterlife Inc. I'm not going to say that, PJ. Can I say it? Uh, say what? No, it's fine. It's fine, PJ. Let's, did you did you rip off the concept of the void for Afterlife Inc.? Uh, think you that's, did. That's outrageous slander, PJ, <laughs> and you'll you'll be hearing from my uh, my lawyer. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, it, it's it's an idea which Morrison has returned to many times uh, over their, you know, in their their kind of DC work. I think I swear it even turned up again in fifty two, like the original fifty two, not the new fifty two, where when, when it was still set in this same continuity. Yeah, yeah. Um, I swear there's a moment where. Animal Man is dying out in space and he wakes up, he's been rescued by the weird narrative aliens that seem to follow him, follow him around. Um, he wakes up in Universe B, which is basically, it is this, it is the void. It is like the foundations of reality, basically. An utterly empty space below the universe. Yeah, it, it, it's also something we've already seen something similar in JLA, haven't we? Because they Ooh. said the uh, the White Martian fleet was in uh, in the Phantom Zone or, or or some kind of white void, weren't they? Yes, mm, intriguing, PJ. And Prometheus says he calls it the Ghost Zone, which I love as a name for a white <laughs> void. Yeah, um, and. Uh, yeah, and, and Retro is just kind of like, he he's can't really process what's going on. He's like, uh, wait, is this wait is this telepathy? Are you doing something weird to my brain? Is this how we get to the watchtower? Um, yeah, Retro is just completely on the back foot. He's got no idea what's going on. Uh, to the point where he's looking at all the equipment, which is kind of littered around Prometheus's crooked house. And he picks up... Um, well, I guess it's a it's a nightstick, isn't it? Yeah. Or a or a yeah. tonfa, which is a very yeah. a, a very cool. I thought those weapons were cool because Prometheus used them basically. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But he asks Prometheus if he made all this stuff, and Prometheus says, well, yeah, like father, like son, try it out on the anvil. So Retro, it doesn't even look like he hits it hard. He essentially just taps an anvil with this nightstick, and the anvil shatters with a huge amount of Kirby crackle coming out of it as well. Yeah, and and again, he's just staring at this at this nightstick, going like, uh, uh, "Don't you think this is kind of dangerous?" And Prometheus is just like, "Yeah, it's a dangerous world." I came back to America, and he just carries on with his origin story, even though Retro didn't ask. It's just <laughs> like, uh, "Yeah, you know, I came back to America. I thought I'd, uh, you know, start my mission to destroy justice by um, blowing up the Supreme Court." Uh, but then I got a better idea. Splash page again. Because, <laughs> again, it, I hadn't twigged until we just started talking about it, how many splash pages are in this story before, because you don't really notice while you're reading it. Can I... And to, to compare and contrast this with something, and I know I rag on Bendis a lot, but maybe it's deserved sometimes. <laughs> um, there is an issue of New Avengers. Hmm. Oh, God, what's it called? It's called The Collective or or something like that. But... The opening issue consisted of 22 splash pages. Uh, Oh, I do remember that. The entire issue was nothing but splash pages with, I feel, the only the last couple of pages had any dialogue on them. Yeah. Now, I get what they were trying to do with that issue. I think it was Steve McNiven was doing the art. Lovely art, don't get me wrong. It's a striking idea. But if you want to talk about being cheated out of an issue, like you want to talk about an issue racing by, like that that's such a wasted month of storytelling. Because <laughs> nothing, yeah, again, no dialogue, nothing happens. So there's an example of an issue that is entirely splash pages that I really like, and that is the final chapter of The Death of Superman. Mm. That final chapter, it's only splash pages, but they did that on purpose for a reason, and it's something I didn't realise until my third or fourth read-through of the story, where in the fourth to last issue, every page is four panels. In the third to last, every page is three panels. Second to last, it's all two panels. And then the final issue, it's all splash pages, because they're counting down Oh wow! Yeah. as the issues go on. And it works really, really well. Um, but yeah, I, I do remember that issue Bendis did, and that one did, did feel a bit like a waste. But this issue, which has, well, we had like five splash pages so far, yeah. so that's almost a quarter of the book, is really, it doesn't feel it. You don't feel it. It's really, really good. And well, I love this splash page because it's just a tiny image of Prometheus looking up at a giant advert for the Justice League. Now, PJ, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say that I ripped off this shot for the final page of the opening chapter of Afterlife Inc. Volume 4. I'm not going to say I did that. I will. I will. Uh, well, John, we, John, you ripped off this shot for the PJ, final page why, of the opening chapter of Afterlife Inc. Why are you so... I don't understand why you've got to be so aggressive today. It's really, <laughs> it really hurts. Honestly, like, looking back, I don't think I'd realised like, how much... I, know, I knew I was doing it. I just didn't realise that so many influences that come from this one particular issue like i don't know are you are you getting a little bit worried now that morrison and, and arnie jorgensen could could sue you is that what's happening here i feel like the david morrison <laughs> david morrison finally listens to this podcast i'll be overjoyed and distraught at the same time because it will be like morrison please 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 grant 
come and do an interview with us. And in return, you can see me in court. <laughs> and you will sue the, <laughs> sue the fabric off my back, basically. <laughs> yeah, you get this image of, of Prometheus looking at a huge poster of the JLA as they were during New World Order. So that also gives us a reference point as to when Prometheus returned to the United States. So it's Wonder Woman, Batman, Superman, John, Flash, Green Lantern and Aquaman, but Wally and Kyle as Flash and Green Lantern, Aquaman is long hair, hook for a hand, and Superman is classic big blue, but with the mullet. And you talk about efficient storytelling. Like, it instantly... Oh God, it just says so much without having to say much at all. Like, mm-hmm. you just get it. You get what's going through Prometheus's head. Yeah, he's like this. These these people, these are these people are justice. I'm gonna kill them. That's that's what's just happened in <laughs> Prometheus's brain, and literally and- because that for no other reason than Prometheus is brilliant and arrogant, and he does. I mean, retro jokes about it, but he does like to set his sights high. He's just like, why the hell not? Why shouldn't I take down the Justice League? Yeah, it sends a statement, definitely. It's a hell of a statement. Um, and yeah, poor Retro, bless him, still convinced that this is all just part of the game. This is all just part of Prometheus's weird origin story. Fake origin story. Fake but true origin story. Yeah, because he still thinks that Prometheus has just made all this up. And because he goes, yeah, not bad, but the Justice League would kick your butt. But he's very, he doesn't swear, he's a nice superhero. Uh, He goes, seriously. And then the penny drops, like both for Retro and for the reader, because you realise just how dangerous Prometheus actually is. Yeah, Prometheus says, well, not if I have technology they can't even imagine. And then says he's got a foolproof plan for getting close enough to use it. What if America's media arranged a contest and the winner was given a free return trip to the JLA Watchtower, dressed as a superhero of his design? And then Retro's <laughs> like, well, they know you they, they know you weren't the real guy. And Prometheus just continues with, but what if that little CD you saw me fitting into my helmet contained a digital copy of everything the real guy knows, right down to how he moves, programmed back into my costume's electromagnetic circuitry? What would happen then? And then he kills Retro. Yeah, like, with the cosmic key. Like, he kind of points it at Retro, and Retro just turns into pure white. Like it, It's like he's absorbed away. into the key. Yeah, it's wild, actually, because, again, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that I don't think Prometheus does does this again, ever. Uh, not that I remember, no. No. But it's kind of grim, I suppose, because you see Retro's clothing kind of just, like, crinkling up as if he's just kind of, like evaporating out of it yeah and this raises the question that i've had about this issue since i first read it and i've never managed to figure out a definitive answer did prometheus manage to using some contacts he has arrange the contest himself or has he just taken advantage of it yeah yes I really I'm yeah, not no, sure. <laughs> I'm not sure either. I've often wondered. He's certainly smart enough that he perhaps could have manipulated it somehow. I mean, 
it's all real. Like there's there are you know film crews waiting and everything. Like maybe all he did was intercept retro and send him to the wrong location. I I I, I don't know. Um, but here's here's the thing though. I think either way, it doesn't really matter. No, because. The point is, Prometheus is smart enough to have engineered events, however he's done it, to get himself onto the JLA watchtower. And I do like the idea that you know Morrison almost is like a almost like an intellectual exercise just for themselves. You know, they've created this kind of unstoppable team of heroes, and then had a lot of fun unraveling that knot, like coming up with, well, literally, how would you take down the Justice League if you were incredibly smart and resourceful? And mm. yeah, I think that's almost why you kind of like Prometheus so much, even though he's doing some objectively horrifying things, because yeah, like he's almost the underdog and he's being clever about it. You wanna you wanna root for him. Yeah. And here he crouches over Retro's now empty costume. And just says, I'm going to kill them all one by one, and I'm going to do it on camera. All I needed was a way onto their moon base. Thanks, Retro. You got to help somebody after all. And it's a lovely, sinister image of Prometheus crouching down, smiling, with his nightstick leaning against him and holding the cosmic key. Oh, yeah, he has arguably never looked better. Like, he just looks incredible here. Yeah, it's it's this is, for me, the definitive image of Prometheus. And... As we turn the page, we are suddenly back in, I guess, the real world. And again, this is a baffling little thing, but we have Prometheus walking out of the Welcome Fire Motel, which is presumably where he was with Retro, which is also the place where he dug up all that money as a child, and it's now burning down. Yeah, it's... This is a weird moment, isn't it? He just walks out of this burning building in Retro's clothes, saying, Retro is dead, long live Retro, and then turns up and says, oh, hey, everyone, hope I'm not late, just getting my origin straight, and my catchphrase, yesterday's hero, no, today's hero, yesterday's (laughs) attitude, and here comes justice. And Um, there are police there keeping people back from the fire, but there are also news crews there to interview Retro, who's going to go join the JLA for a day. It's odd. It's powerfully odd, and I. Oh yeah, and the final shot I should just say is this brilliantly weird shot of Prometheus wearing Retro's clothes, but also having the cosmic key and his nightstick and a duffel bag, and the moon kind of framed above him with flames. It's powerfully weird. Uh, but I should say, there's. I feel. I feel it's like a Morrison archetype where they'll often have a character who is like Prometheus, who's very smart and cunning and has planned things, and is also kind of just weird. Like, I'm thinking of um, Phantom X from New Mm. X-Men, because there's in Phantom X's origin, which is kind of similar to Prometheus's origin, where, like, this character turns up completely new, outlines an utterly wild backstory, and all their weird powers... And then you realise that they might be lying. And there's a brilliant moment at the end of that intro where you learn some truth about Phantom X and how he was actually lying about everything he told Jean Grey. Yeah. And then Jean Grey goes like, well, hang on a minute. If you were lying, 
how did how did we meet your mother? How did we meet that old woman who lived in a house on a on a, on a mountain top? And Phantom X just goes, "What old woman?" And it's just such a wonderful moment of like complete and utter disinformation that you just have no idea what to believe anymore. Yeah, and but that's also the end of the issue. There we go. So. You know, apologies, folks. This was an episode of the JLA cast where the JLA didn't really appear at all, but we had to do it because, <laughs> my God, it's brilliant. It is. It genuinely is. And I, I didn't really notice when I was younger that this wasn't part of the JLA series, if that makes sense. I, I had it in a trade paperback and it, it just seemed like a, a perfect chapter. So when I reread this last night... I hadn't read these for a few years, really, and my memory was always that the Prometheus origin portion of this story was the least interesting bit, and it holds up the rest of the story, and I just want to get to the JLA, but I realised last night how what an idiot younger me is. <laughs> because, my God, this issue read as a standalone thing is just so beautifully done in every way it's so clever it's so good to look at it's paced so brilliantly and it's just so fascinating this new character that's been introduced it's amazing oh god and yeah like it cannot overstate how earned those splash pages are and for for an issue where five six pages as you said pj maybe like a quarter of the story are just splash pages it still feels twice as long as a regular comic you know, you get so much bang for your buck with this story. Uh, we should learn from it. It's, it's, it's really a masterclass in in twenty two page storytelling. It's it's superb. I yeah, I don't think I can use any more superlatives about it because that will get stale very quickly. But certainly compared to the last issue oh, we looked God. at, I was just going to say, I yeah, I mean not not to be too hard on you know the respective creators, but it is striking. The difference, you know, to go from Secret Files and Origins two to this, it is an almost embarrassing comparison. Yeah, basically. Yeah, and don't you know we've we've said before that the the team on Secret Files and Origins two they have all done much better work in other places, but that story isn't great. And then to have this in this book just be over the page from it is, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Well, here's a weird question for you, PJ. So, obviously, end of the last book, the JLA is disbanded. This book, this collected edition, opens with Secret Files and Origins 2 by a different creative team, which is a side story. Mm -hmm. Then we go straight into Prometheus, which is a side story, a very, very, very good side story. And next issue, we're about to get back into the proper... JLA, which is JLA series, which is meant to be the direct continuation of the JLA being disbanded at the end of Rock of Ages. Yeah. So my question is, do these two issues spoil what's coming? I don't... Secret Files and Origins 2, potentially, yes. Yeah. Certainly that, that spoils the reveal of Oracle that we're going to get in a, yeah. in a couple of issues' time, definitely. I don't think the Prometheus one does spoil anything. Uh, I think that because the JLA aren't in it, if you re even if you skip Secret Files and Origins 2, and if you don't read Earth 2 where we did, if you just go JLA 15, Prometheus, JLA 16, it gives you the League is disbanded, cliffhanger, 
not resolved straight away. You get a little gap and a, a really good story to read that still ties mm. in, and then you get to JLA sixteen, the resolution of that. I think I just, pacing yeah. wise, yeah, Secret Files and Origins two being where it is in this trade, which is how I've always read it. I I read you know I've always read it in this trade, so I always read that first. I think it does spoil certain aspects of what Morrison was doing with JLA sixteen and seventeen. Again, I yeah, it's it's odd, isn't it? Like I I don't necessarily have like um, an answer to this. It's just it's interesting that when Morrison picks up JLA next issue, you know, as you say, we have this big reveal that like oh Oracle's on the team, which is meant to be like a kind of surprise. We have like a big double page spread, which is like, and this is the new JLA, as if it's meant to be like the first time you've seen them. Now, it's just weird that those moments were kind of undercut, I suppose, by Secret Files and Origins. And I guess we're also meant to have this moment where, you know, we know that Prometheus is not who he says he is. He's not retro because we've seen that, but the heroes don't know. But again, I don't know if that's meant to be dramatic irony or it's simply just J- uh, DC editorial couldn't guarantee that everybody would have read New Year's Evil so I don't know if I'd gone in blind to JLA 16 would I have been more surprised by Prometheus's sudden reveal but I probably wouldn't love him as much because I would have missed out on this amazing issue I think it's fairly early on in the issue, I think, if I recall correctly, that Prometheus reveals his true colours. In And even earlier on than that, I'm just flipping through now, obviously we're not going to go into that issue just yet, but Batman's suspicious of him fairly, like pretty early on. And if Batman's suspicious of someone, that's where you know <laughs> something's up. So I don't think reading it this way spoils anything in terms of Prometheus. I think the, the point of... of of Prometheus and that story is how interesting it is to see this this guy come up against the league um and the surprises are not so much his identity but more how he goes about his business as it mm. were though those are the shocking moments not that this guy turns out to be a bad guy so I, I don't think this is why I don't think the Prometheus one shot spoils anything for the upcoming story at all uh, and I am more than happy to read it this way Oh yeah, I am. I am so glad to have this included. Like, it, in fact, it's so perfect. It probably could have been just an issue of the main JLA. I don't think I would have minded mm. to have an issue that didn't have all our heroes in it. It's just weird. I don't know. It's just weird. It's a weird thing about monthly publishing schedules, where you know publishers keep doing these big multi-title tie-ins and stuff, and yet you could never a hundred percent guarantee that people are going to read all of them. So you have to assume that people don't have that backstory when you're going yeah. in. Should we also mention, very briefly, um, JLA Avengers? Yes. Yeah, I, I feel like that's something we will cover in detail somewhere down the line. But, oh, we're going to um, have to. But I think I, I do love Prometheus's appearance in that. And also, um, is it issue three where Perez had the unenviable task of drawing a single image featuring every single member of the Avengers in the JLA who had ever been on either team. Yeah, the cover to issue three. And not even to the point where he had to draw Hank Pym. He had to draw <laughs> Hank Pym as Ant-Man, Giant-Man, Yellow Jacket. Goliath. All the identities he'd had. So characters who'd had multiple identities, like Clint Barton appears as Hawkeye, Ronin. Uh, no, he hadn't been Ronin at that point, sorry. just But Hawkeye and Goliath and the other Goliath. So, yeah. yeah. And doesn't Retro appear on that cover? 
Oh my god, does he? Is my I th- copy of it in this room? No, I think it's not. I think he does because I remember someone commenting on this at the time that it was actually a really nice homage to retro in a way that he never got the chance to be a hero for a day. And I, I swear he is added to that cover in the background. Right, there are there are some deep cuts on that cover, most definitely, because you do have character. I think Tomorrow Woman's on it as well. Yes, yeah, um, and yeah, but I'm I'm going to have to basically as soon as we finish recording, I'm going to have to go find out which damn shelf I put that book on in the house. Now you you might be able to like confirm or deny because I've heard that I can't instantly bring it to mind. You know if that makes sense. Like I someone told me he was on the cover and I believed them because there's like I, 200 characters on that thing. Yeah, well that cover broke George Perez. Issue four was heavily delayed because that drawing that cover gave him such bad RSI that it took oh him a lot God, longer yeah. to finish issue four. That's why issue four also has a only one character on the cover. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's got to be a you know badge of honor for Busick. Where you're basically like, I exploded George Perez's hand, you know. <laughs> and the eternal battle between writers and artists wages on, basically. <laughs> yeah, no, when, when I will I will look at that and once this uh this episode comes out, I will I will post on social media as to whether retro is on that cover or not. Thank you. Yeah, we'll need uh, we'll need screen grabs and. Uh, Although now I think about it, my copy I don't have the individual issues anymore. I got, I've got it in the trade collection that DC put out of JLA Avengers. Um, right. About a year later, but I think it reprints the covers in there somewhere. My issue is I've got it in the um Amer- uh, the British Panini collectors editions. Oh yeah, which has a great big logo floating over. Yeah. Uh, a big section of the art, so I can't tell if if retro is behind that or not. Yeah, I'm I'm sure the covers are reprinted without logos in in the trade collection I've got. So I will I will I will, that's what I'm going to do as soon as I come off this and go get my copy of the uh, JLA Wizard special so I can start reading that and report back on that next time. PJ, here's 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 a, a thought. Experiment. Hang on, I've just realised you've given me homework for the podcast. No, you you, you gave your <laughs> you gave yourself homework. I feel this like is, it's your fault. This is masochism. <laughs> hey, PJ, I've got problems enough as it is with all the lawsuits coming my way. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but here's a thought experiment for you, PJ. Mm. You're devising a new villain, shall we say? Yeah. Uh, you know, something. You're going for something. Okay, what's a what's a fun. A fun villain. Uh, so your dude is walking down the street one day. He gets blasted by a bolt of lightning, which carries the amazing power of dot dot dots. Ah, uh, um, trees. Trees. Okay. He becomes foliage. Foliage. His name's Foliage, and his power is he can control trees, and he becomes a villain. Simple, clean, effective. Yeah. Prometheus. Let's just talk about this for a second. Prometheus is the reverse, the inverted Batman, the son of criminals who were killed by police, travelled the world making himself a master of all human arts and, you know, the physical physical combat, developed incredible technology, has the ability to download qualities from people into his brain, has a cosmic key which allows him access to the underside of reality and lives in a crooked house. <laughs> it's a lot. Like, there's a lot going on there. There really is. Do you know what It occurs to me as well now? Oh, Morrison creates a couple of other original villains throughout their run on JLA, some of whom are coming up in the not-too-distant future. 
But is this why when Mark Wade takes over the book full time at the end of Morrison's run, when, when Wade then comes on, do you think this is why Wade basically has the league's first villain be actually Batman in his run? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. The only way he could match Prometheus was just to have Batman be the villain. <laughs> I'm so amazed that no one has brought Prometheus back as a recurring JLA villain. I I am fascinated why nobody has seen fit to mine that again. There was a really, really bad, infamously bad JLA miniseries, or mini or maxi series, I forget which, in the mid-2000s. I can't remember who wrote it, but it's the one... During Brad Meltzer's run, he'd done this thing that I thought was really cool, where he'd had Arsenal join the league and take up the mantle of Red Arrow, which I had, it, it's slightly corny, slightly silly, but I really liked it. Right, yeah. And But it's during this other guy's miniseries where, um, where Red Arrow has a breakdown, goes back to drugs, and just kills a kitten for no reason. What? Yeah, it was this really weird, famous... It, it was it was bad. It was an awful, awful series. But it's in that series, Prometheus does reappear. I think it was that series. But that writer, I can't remember who it was, but they did not get Prometheus at all. And that's where Prometheus was basically taken down really easily by basically anyone. Really? Weird. Yeah. I want to say, because I, I, I loved the character so much, and I think I did, uh, I know I have searched a few times about, like, you know, other appearances and stuff. And didn't he get beaten down by nightwing at some point in like a, a or in a in a side kind of ancillary batman story sort of thing yeah yeah there was a batman he appeared a few times in batman just got his ass handed to him to the point where i think i, I recall i haven't read the issues i might be remembering this wrong but where i think dc realized they'd messed prometheus up so much they had to course correct and so they had a Prometheus story where it was revealed that the Prometheus who had appeared in every single story after Morrison had left JLA, so anyone else had used it, wasn't the original Prometheus. It was someone else who'd taken up the mantle and then the original Prometheus came back and just killed him. Right. Just so that they could say, actually, that wasn't the real Prometheus. That's why he was rubbish. <laughs> and yeah, I I just feel like no one knew what to do with Prometheus, really. And so they just messed him up completely. I guess I'm glad we had this time together with the character, like because you know I think his his appearances in um in uh, you know the pages of JLA are absolutely brilliant, like absolutely brilliant. Uh, he's one of the highlights of the series. Um, yeah, I'm just yeah, I just find it so weird that in like a, in an era where you know you're, you're seeing a lot of that back history being um, uh, not plundered. Plundered is the wrong word, but you, you know, there's, there's a constant like, let's go back in and find something and pluck it out. I'm just kind of amazed that Prometheus hasn't been taken up as this kind of like, well, he has the potential to be gnarly and edgy. You know, if you just want like a tough guy who's the equal of Batman so they can punch each other, I'm amazed yeah. he hasn't become that. So I guess I'm actually glad maybe that he hasn't yeah. been too ruined. The only the only one of those occasions and I've already said that I like where someone does take down Prometheus one on one is the fight he has with Captain America in JLA Avengers. Yeah, because there's Busick explains in that issue why Captain America is able to beat Prometheus in a fight one to one on this occasion, and you also do get the feeling that if they met again, Prometheus would be more prepared. Mm-hmm. Quite. I guess the one thing I was never a hundred percent certain about Prometheus was. How it's one thing to have 
uh, little discs which he can plug into his brain, which mm. allow him to like download skills and stuff. I'm never entirely sure how he got those skills in the first place. I feel like when he's when we see him doing that with retro in in that issue, he places the disc in while he's talking to retro quite early on. So like presumably kind of... it's it's scanning retro while they go. Yeah, that's my assumption. Maybe he's a bit like Taskmaster to some extent. Like maybe because you know I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> For a brief moment, I thought you meant the Greg Davis TV show. I forgot. Maybe, what we were maybe he's Greg Davis, like under <laughs> under the armor. Have we considered that reality? Um, yeah, maybe he's like you know because we we find out in 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 issues to come that uh, he has, shall we say, the abilities of certain people in yes. like a, a library which he can kind of call upon. And you wonder whether he's just studied a lot of like television footage, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. it's cool. I'm very excited to get on to the next couple of issues now, though. I really am. Oh, me too. Yeah, and I know every new issue brings us close to the end. We're, yeah. we're, we're not there yet, but like, I'm also just so excited about what's coming in like the latter days. Like, um, I love Prometheus here. I also absolutely love him in World War Three. I think he's yep. brilliant there. So I'm just, I'm really looking forward to that, even though it means we'd nearly be at the end. I'm, Jim, I'm also really looking forward to then getting onto the other stories in this book. I know we get Mark Wade's first story on JLA soon, and and I really like his first two part story on on the book actually mm. that we're uh, we're coming to in the not too distant future. And yeah, I'm flipping through Strength in Numbers. This is a really strong trade. Yeah, and. Again, I quite like um, oh Justice for All as well. It's like there's a lot of good stuff still to come. I keep um, I don't know. I kind of trick my brain into thinking it was all almost over, but no, there's there is plenty still to come. And then at the end of Strength in Numbers, we get one of my absolute favourite uh, Morrison two part stories. And oh, of course, yeah. The uh, yeah the the surprise guest star that I don't think anybody <laughs> saw coming. <laughs> And uh, surprise witnesses, each more surprising than the last. Um, PJ, have we uh, have we exhausted all the all the Prometheus data on our head mini discs? Uh, yeah, if I just if I continue to wax lyrical about him, people are going to think that I'm a bad guy too. So, <laughs> um, well, I guess on that note, uh, I should say a massive thank you to uh, Gav Mitchell for drawing our incredible cover art. And to Elliot Red for composing and performing our theme tune, Justice. And if if you enjoy hearing PJ and I talk, you can find us on the social medias where we try to inject a little bit of joy into the world. <laughs> um, yeah, when we're not and, ranting and raving about when it. When we're not ranting and raving. And our details are in the description. Um, so PJ, is, is, is there anything more to say? Have we, have we, have we, is there anything you'd like to shout about? Anything we've missed? Um, no. So, in which case, uh, let's let's go out in a blaze of glory, uh, rather than be uh, uh, re- resurrected by um, inferior creative teams at a later date. PJ, would you please uh, see us off in your own unique style? I will. Goodbye. <laughs>